Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. If you have the time, you can not only listen to the episodes, but you can also watch all the shows and you'll find the links in the description below. Thank you. The Tim Hill Podcasts. Ordinary people's extraordinary stories. Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to have a chat with Nate. Nate's got a bit of story to tell. So Nate, if you can tell me when and where you were born, if you can describe to me what it was like where you grew up, the schools you went to, and the education that you received. Yeah. So all yours. Absolutely. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I was born in the late 80s, 1987. So um, right there at the end of it, and I was born in a little town called Sebastian, Florida. I checked up the demographics just recently and it's a town of about six thousand people today so probably less uh 30 years ago but i grew up there right on the indian river so i kind of sometimes call myself a river rat because that was kind of my upbringing <laughs> my family was involved in a lot of different things but what i remember most was my grandpa orvis uh had the sportsman's marina and lodge and it was right on the water and so I'd go spend summers with my grandmother and him. It was really just my grandmother's boyfriend um, by, by that time. And, you know, that. so I grew up on the front of a John boat, just fishing all summer. Uh, Love that. We had a flower shop there in town. So if I wasn't with him, I was riding with my actual grandpa, my grandpa Bill, and he helped deliver flowers. So, you know, we didn't have car seats 30 years ago, I sat on the back, uh, on a cinder block in the back of a delivery van. Got And then, so speaking of school, I remember that even in the school line. So as I have kids today, I think about all the technology and safety and car seats. But it, I remember getting picked up in the elementary school there at Sebastian Elementary in the delivery van. Bright pink with a big rose painted on the side. Open the sliding door, not a seat in the thing. Just flowers and cinder blocks and me climbing in. And that was perfectly normal. So... A uh, small fishing town for sure. So fishing and the outdoor life. I mean, just imagine Florida. Like when you think Florida, Florida mm-hmm. man, uh, the reputation that ha- that we have is true. <clears throat> and so that's where I grew up. Went to Sebastian Elementary School there. Uh, by the time I was maybe in first or second grade, we moved a little bit further up the coast to the Space Coast. So this was cool because we were on the river directly across from NASA from the launch pad. So saw a lot of space shuttle launches and the landings. And I do remember from that childhood that, you know, the launches you were kind of like prepared for. There was uh, most of the people that lived in our condo complex worked over there. That was part of the industry, right? For that area. So of course, so um, by this point I was going to Atlantis elementary. So Atlantis elementary, literally um, the logo was the space shuttle. That's how connected the town was. And we would watch the space shuttle go off. So, again, that was a big influence. And now in my life, I'm influenced by fishing in the river and then, you know, uh, the space shuttle. And so that was kind of my early foundation. And to this day, I've got a a love of nature and a love of the water. And then also uh, just anything. If I'm watching a movie, I want to watch a sci-fi movie or something from outer space. So, I mean, those are my, my early years, Tim, really. Um, from there, it kind of changed. If you want me to keep moving on with that path, well, let's, let's, let's just have a look at. Um, I mean, the area that you lived in. I mean, it was opposite NASA, and yeah. I mean, do you remember? It's probably I can't remember the date of it, but um, 
the one that blew up, and there was an awful lot of bad jokes about going at uh, at the time. Yeah, um, the, the the acronym for NASA was need another seven astronauts, mm. and uh, <laughs> so I was, was probably too young. I think that the Challenger <clears throat> is the one you're referring to, and that was in '86 mm. or '87, so right about the time I was being born. Um, mm. And yeah, that was you know if you go over to NASA today, you can go to Kennedy Space Center. My wife and me, we've gone and we we do the tours and all that, and. You know, they still, they have a monument and all that stuff. So it's pretty emotional when you get in there, but they have Atlantis there. And that's really special to me, especially I went to school. Atlantis made the last flight. And when you go in that room and see the size, it's really amazing. Hmm. So, I mean, growing up around that, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, actually seeing the, the rocket going up. Uh, and just going into space, um, and I guess from whereabouts you were, you, you can actually feel it as it's going up. I mean, the, the vibration and the the blast of the the rockets and everything, and and I'm watching it uh, from the playground even. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, amazing. For sure, that was a big influence, and you could feel it. You definitely could feel it, and it, it was a big to do, and you could see it. And I remember when it would land, you had the sonic booms from it landing. So that's what I was saying. The launch was this big countdown and you knew about it and you knew it was coming and you were ready for it. And people had their lawn chairs set up. They were going to watch the binoculars, the cameras. But the landings would happen any time of day randomly. And it was that big boom and your your house would literally rattle like kaboom, kaboom. And as a kid, it could like I remember one time just like jumping out of bed, terrified. Uh, that was one of the, the quick memories from the landing time. Wow. So that was in, in sort of your elementary school. So moving on a little bit then. So did you stay in the area? Did you let's hang on, let's just take you back to, to your summers. Um and the okay. fishing and stuff like that. Yeah. You, you mentioned the type of boat. It's like a little speedboat, um that or is a fishing boat basically. Yeah. Or, or or did you manage to do any sailing? I never did any sailing, so Orvis had the old aluminum fishing boat, you know, with the throttle right there on the motor, stick drive. Um, <clears throat> I can't say anything that he had was ever too fancy. It was mostly, you functional. know, older boats. Yeah, functional. So it was going fishing. So we go out, you know, and early we'd go to the bait shop and we'd get a bucket of shrimp. So it was always live bait. Um, we'd go out fish and bring home you know, 15 to 20 fish. I mean, really I've got the photos and stuff for it. I love those days. And we would go upstairs and then my grandmother would, we would clean them right there on the dock. And then my grandmother would uh, take them upstairs. Funny thing is I got attacked by a pelican one time. Cause remember I was just a little kid. I was like, <laughs> I, yeah, this is a true story. I was like five years old. And here's the interesting thing about the sportsman's Marine on lodge at the, my grandpa came back, Orvis came back from world war II. He bought this land, tore down an old defunct hotel, and then built the Sportsman's Marina Lodge. And, I mean, he was a real sportsman. If he wasn't fishing at home, he was traveling in his RV, and he was hunting out west or out in the plains all over the place. So, real cool guy. He was in the Navy in World War II, um, all that. So, we'd be on the river, and then the lodge was – it was shut down. It was something to do with his previous marriage, of course. And uh, something like she got the lodge, he got the house – that was in the center of the lodge, but then the lodge was shut down by her. 
So it's almost like he was living in his dream that was like locked down. Now, I don't know the backstory. Obviously, that happened decades ago. That's their business. But I remember that distinctly. And there was another old man that like lived there too. One other property on the lodge was like functional. And this old guy came out and he goes, Ash, I'm going to take your picture. Just shake the fish a little bit. Shake the fish. It'll make it look bigger in the picture. Jiggle around. So I'm standing there with the biggest fish we caught that day, just like a little trout. I'm shaking this thing, and the pelican came up and took it. And not only did it took it, it took half of my arm with it. I had the teeth marks on it. So I've been <laughs> bitten by a pelican, which is a weird story. But, you know, one with nature. And then we'd go upstairs, and we would – you know, fry up these fish and every day. And then in the afternoon st- thunderstorms would come and thinking back, it was hot. I didn't really notice it. It was normal, but now I'm like, yeah, I don't think yeah, Orvis ever ran the air. So it was like hundred degrees in his house. He'd go in his room, take a nap. And my grandma, Elsie, she'd clean the fish and or uh, fry the fish and we'd eat them. And then me and her would sit on the back porch on the, you know, the swing that with the chains and it would be storming so bad right out there. You couldn't even, he lived on the river on the second floor of this building. But by the time the storms hit, you couldn't even see the river anymore from the rain storm. So that was most of my days. And in the morning when I would wake up, this was really cool. Uh, there was a heron that would come eat breakfast with us. And I'm not even kidding. Again, this is weird. Remember, Orvis is a sportsman. And this heron, he would leave the sliding glass door open. And he'd make me um, some eggs and bacon, and then he'd make himself some eggs and bacon. And But there'd be a third plate, and the third plate had raw bacon on it. And then would come this heron, and it would land on his back porch, and it would come walking right up to the table and have breakfast with us. Um, and that was, man, that's pretty special. Like, it seemed normal. I was a kid. Again, when you're a kid, everything's normal because you're just going through life. But when you look back, you're like, what a great experience. Now, I do kind of laugh because Orvis had – I mean, everywhere there was foxes stuffed. There was trees with stuffed squirrels going up the wall and there was stuffed, you know, deer and antler and this and that and bull horns above the closet. And I'm like, this, if this bird only knew he wouldn't be walking into this. Right. You know what I mean? If only he knew. But, you know, I say that that taught me a lot, too, because that's the heart of a sportsman, too, man. Um, you know, a true hunter, a true conservationist and person who cares you know about providing for themselves and loves the animals in a way that they're providing for them but also interacting with them on a way that most people don't interact you know i don't know anybody else who lets you know a wild heron come into their house to have breakfast with them so that was definitely a cool experience growing up wow amazing <laughs> so so moving on then what was what was uh, so your elementary school your first couple of grades. Um, moving on slightly, what was your middle school like? Yeah, so in middle school, this is a weird time because my dad is from the Midwest, so from Florida to the Midwest, you know, it's about 1,600 miles up there. Totally different weather, totally landlocked. You're not near the coast or the water at all. He took a job up there, and we moved up there about the time I was eight years old and moved to Columbus, Ohio. And, you know, I finished middle school there, so I, or elementary, actually. I still had a couple grades there, but a little bit different. And then I got into middle school, so I went to Rosemore Middle, I believe, because it wasn't a junior high. It was a 6th, 7th, and 8th grade school. Um, that's where I did play. I think I'd already given up peewee football. I played peewee in the younger years, but it wasn't very good and uh, didn't have the confidence or the size, really. That's probably where the lack of confidence came from. I just wasn't that big. <laughs> And um, then, you know, I started playing baseball and 
I was okay at baseball, but uh, I wish I would have consistently played. But I did play at Rosemore um, a little bit there, and that's where I started. You know, I had a bike, and by this time, you know, we didn't come for much. I talk about the the the, the lodge and all that, but you know, we weren't anything special. I was wearing ha- hand me downs. Um, we were eating you know, styrofoam plate dinners at the community center, you know, before that. And then by the time I got to middle school, things picked up a little bit, you know, life had increased. My, we had got a camper at this point in time. So now on the weekends, my family was going camping and bringing the bikes along and getting to experience all that. So again, um, <clears throat> more outdoors, we got into like canoeing during that time period, doing little trips down the river. So you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time, I guess, you know, talking about it. It, it kind of reminds you because you kind of forget, you know, when you look at who you are. But that's part of my my passion for nature and the water and being outdoors really comes from those early years. It just being infused in me. Um, and we were in Ohio for a few years. But interestingly enough, we moved back down to Tampa, Florida, which is on the opposite side of the state from sebastian so it's on the west coast so now we went from the atlantic ocean sorry my headphones here we went from the atlantic ocean over to the gulf of mexico the world's most beautiful beaches i swear uh the beautiful water so we're in clear water st pete Flora, and now our life has continued to get better by this time we move up again to a new house with now this house has a swimming pool with the hot tub that overflows into the pool you know what i mean we're like okay this is good my friends i had some friends that their parents were small business owners at this time you know um one of my closest friends her dad was a uh, a painter and you know it was actually a girl i dated for a long time and her dad was a painter so i spent so much time at that house i learned so much about business and this was a guy not a not necessarily a college educated guy, but just a guy who had worked hard and, and had built this business from the time he was 17 up. And then from there, my brother, who I'm really close with, he had a really good friend who their dad also was a business owner, but the total opposite, the college kind, the big investment kind. And so I had all those influences all the way through high school. So I really, really got exposed um, to quite a bit. And I'm pretty fortunate for that. Wow. So, and you also got the Buccaneers. Yeah. So the Bucks, <laughs> the Bucks were huge then. Tony Dudgy was the coach for so long, and then, uh, of course, John Gruden came down there. And so, yeah, I did get to go to Bucks games, and um, you know, uh, that was that was great. And by this time, actually, it's kind of funny. By this time, my my grandmother Elsie, she had remarried to a guy named Donnie who lived on the Tampa Bay side. So they still, so I'm still close to my grandmother all this time too. In fact, when we lived in Ohio. That was part of it. Um, after we all moved kind of as a family, she moved up and lived in our basement for a little bit. So my grandmother was always close to us. Um, and after that, um, you know, she married Donnie in Tampa. That was an interesting story. He had they had dated in high school. And after all these years, he kind of looked her up. They were like in their 60s. And he was like, hey, um, why don't you come down here? So Donnie was cool. Again, he owned an air conditioning business. So some more business influence in my life. Um, and I can't leave out my dad. My dad uh, was is a pastor, was. He just retired. I'm not sure it's something that you ever. But he did he, for 40 years. Um, he was in the ministry, had a church. And that was part of our moving. It was an interesting uh, thing. You know, a lot of times churches 
uh, that just like the business world find themselves, you know, maybe in financial trouble or in just leadership position. And my dad, you know, he answered the call to take on churches that were, um, you know, either had issues or were $2 million in debt or had a building that was empty. And what were they going to do next to survive and keep their congregation together? So um, all those public speaking and counseling and catching uh, lessons. And then there is some business in there. It's a nonprofit business for sure, but um, it's in there, especially when he was taking on these um, churches that, you know, were for the most part in a, in a financial uh, predicament, I guess. So experience all that. And, um, you know, so I had some really great men, leadership uh, men in my life there. I guess that's that's what kind of makes you um, your your background. Yeah, absolutely. So moving on then to did you go to sort of junior high or was it just high school? Yeah, so by school? by the time we got to St. Pete Clearwater, I was in a, yeah from middle school we just went from the sixth, seventh, eighth, and then like right at the end of eighth grade is when we moved again back down to Florida, and so that's always interesting. You know, I don't I don't really have too many lifelong friends there was quite you know three different elementary schools and a junior school and then now a different high school I, I, I don't have anybody that I've been running with since I was like five years old and on one hand I, that's unfortunate and I want to recreate that for my kids and and I do want them to have those lifelong friends that I missed out on but then on the other hand at any time if I saw an opportunity, I'm ready to pick up and move. I'm ready to move my family where I need to take them. And I don't have fear of it because I have already experienced it. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of benefits there and teaching your kids that like, because I think a lot of people hang on to, oh, I can't leave this town because I'll be leaving my friends or associates or this or that. Even if the opportunity is better for them and their family personally, they might say no to it to stay. And I would encourage people to go um, just having experienced that. So, yeah, I went to high school there. I went to Osceola High School, Proud Warriors. By this time, I was totally out of sports, Tim. Uh, I played baseball. I played baseball. I was, like, on the JV team and then, like, the regular team. And then by 11th grade, got downgraded again. And I was like, I'm out. I guess I just don't have it. I don't have it. So, but you know what I did play? I played guitar. Um, I This whole time, I started, you know, in – I started in band in fifth grade when band starts and I always had a fascination for guitar, but for some reason I picked the sax. Actually, I wanted to play drums, but you know how they are at the schools. They talk you out of things and, and, and they, they talk kids into things who they think would be good at this and where they need you to fill in. <clears throat> so I picked saxophone. <laughs> I think that's probably more it. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, it's what, what needs filling rather than what you want to do. Yeah, yeah, they're like, we need a saxophone player, and this little kid, he's not very confident. We'll just, we'll convince him that that's what he wants to do, and he'll sign up for it. And that's exactly what happened. So, yeah, so I signed up for um, for playing saxophone, but that only lasted like a couple of years. I was like, no way. So my parents traded it in for a guitar. So I've been playing guitar um, and through high school, and I kind of had this attitude in high school. I was like, you know what? I was like, these guys playing football and sports – they're really good and popular right now, and that's okay. But when we're 30 years old and they're not in the NFL, what are they doing with their sport? I'm putting time into this curricular activity, and uh, at 30 years old, I'm still going to be doing it. In fact, I still play, and um, I've played some pretty big 
uh, places, uh, venues, and and everything from church music to country music to rock and roll music, and I, I really enjoy it. And late at night, you know, the technology's gotten so good that you don't have to be. I plug my headphones in right into my <laughs> equipment, and I can sit in the room and I can play even after everyone's going to bed. To everyone else, they don't hear a thing. So, what sort of guitar do you play? So, I've got a pair of Les Pauls. So, Les Pauls are that that's my thing playing a gibson les paul um i play into a pv classic 50 it's a tube amp um i also picked up an epiphone a little five watt amp but a 50 watt 212 combo amp that's what i played um until recently i had you know separate effect pedals so when i was playing it uh, i was playing at a place called celebration church in jacksonville florida we got pretty spoiled there that's where we started running wireless in-ear packs the, the amplifiers were off stage they were mic'd up by this point, I was running multiple amps, running stereo sounds, had a sound guy just for me, you know, adjusting what was going on in my ears. And um, so got really spoiled there. But recently, I just picked up what's a, a Headrush gig board. And this this is like, a, it's, it's new to me. It's all digital. It's all there. And one thing, you know, all you need is your guitar in this thing. And um <clears throat> And so that's all you need. And then you just plug it into the system if you're at like a venue or a place that has a good, you know, live sound. Uh, I also picked up a Charvel. I don't know if it's like a super strap model. Um, so I've, I've got some, it's good equipment. I don't, I don't have a lot, but it's all quality stuff. And is it, um, is it your bass player or are you sort of lead harmonics or? Oh yeah, I see. Uh, it's lead. It's lead guitar mostly. Play lead guitar. Yeah. And do you sing with that as well? You know, I used to, and uh, when I was in high school, I did sing. Uh, I just was the front man. I didn't even play the guitar in that band. I just sang. Um, but your voice is an instrument in itself. So if you're not practicing with it, then uh, you know you're not very good. Yeah. So I can sing. I hum a few tunes here and there, and but uh, <laughs> the days like when I was playing recently guitar i'm just focused on the focus on my parts adding to the sound and uh, i'm happy with that me personally i can't even carry a tune in a bucket ah yeah i'm sure <laughs> i'm sure you could find ones in there somewhere i can, I can put lots of people off when i see mm, mm, well that's all right it's one way of closing a, a pub down at night for me to jump on a, a karaoke everybody leaves yeah yeah, you're like, do. get them out of here. Get them yeah, out of here. Start singing. Yeah. So that was your, your high school then. Did you, when you graduated, did you graduate? And yeah. Did you go off to college or what did you do next? Okay, so talking about uh, that experience of moving around and being confident and doing it. Yeah, I did right away. I graduated high school and I went to Point Loma Nazarene University which is in San Diego, California, the most beautiful place on earth, I swear. That's, that's the other side of the world. Absolute, absolute <laughs> other side of the country. I only stayed there one semester because, see, I didn't know that this is this sounds crazy. Other people might be like, yeah, of course. I didn't know there was a difference in out-of-state tuition. So you go out-of-state, you got to get this big, you know, and I was just going for a business degree. It was beautiful school right on the ocean. Cost fortune. Could have got a four-year degree in Florida for half the price, <laughs> probably just one semester. So I came back. That's how I ended up in Jacksonville the first time. I came to Jacksonville, 
to UNF. So I was going for real estate and marketing business. Um, and that's been a passion of mine going back to the lodge and all that kind of job. Those were very entrepreneurial type of jobs, not, uh, your typical nine to fives, every influence in my life. I, I've just, I don't know, Tim, that I could just get a job. So I wasn't going to school for that. I was going to school entrepreneurial. So then I found out you could get your real estate license with a 60 hour class. You don't need college. So I quit college and uh, naturally, like as you should, and uh, got my 60 hour credit. Yeah, sure. And um, got my real estate license in spring of, I think, like 2007. Of course, we had the biggest housing recession of all just a short time after that. So I left college. I went back home to Tampa and I was staying with my parents. And, um, you know, this is maybe this is like 2009 now. So I graduated high school in 2006. So all this happened in like a three year period, a couple years of school, quit school, get a get a course, start being a salesperson. But having I, I wasn't making enough money to either a not live with mom and dad or b not work at the mall so i worked at the mall at, the, at a store that sold suits so i could get a discount and dress nice <laughs> at my real estate job and i might go do that again because suits are getting expensive but uh <laughs> but i lived home with mom and dad when that recession hit so hard you know everybody changed jobs including my parents even my parents they were kind of mobile at that time so we didn't have a house we didn't have anything and i was like Okay, I'm either going to go in the, yeah. I, I, I thought you said your dad was a, a, a pastor, a vicar. Yes, yes. I mean, they 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 kind of they just moved to a different um, church. And, yes, and they get looked after. Yeah, absolutely. Except now they're gone, and where am I going to live? So yeah. uh, <laughs> that was fine, and it was. But I'm like 21 years old, and it's like, okay, either go with mom and dad and keep living with them, or I figure this out on my own. And Tim, that is how I ended up in the Navy. So that's where the Navy story starts, really, for me. Ah, yeah. So, how did that come about? Did because because you you're scratching around. There's yeah. a bit of a recession on. Yeah. And then, and, and I, I bet you was walking down the road one day, and you saw. <laughs> so yeah. Come and join the Navy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, it's specifically the ad they were running was jumpstart your career. So it's very career minded. So remember uh, September 11, 2001, that was my eighth grade school year. And then we moved out mm-hmm. down to Florida. It's still now you've, you've kicked off the Afghanistan and the Iraq wars. And uh, again, Grandpa Bill was in Korean War. I, um, yes. I remember 9-11 very well. Okay. I was actually in Macedonia at the time wow. on an operation there. And... Um, I was sat outside a, a camp called Camp Abel Sentry, which was an American base in Skopje. And I was listening to the, to the radio on the car while the God guys were, were inside doing a bit of shopping at the PX. And okay. they said that a, a plane had crashed into one of the Twin Towers. I thought, that doesn't sound good. So yeah. I shot in, grabbed the guys, we shot back to our base went into the ops room, we got some big TVs up on the screen. And as we got into the the, uh, the ops room, we saw the second plane going to the to the other tower. Yeah. And um, there was we had some Americans working with us, and what they were coming out with was quite scary, to be honest. Yeah, and, yeah. And um, 
so um, five months later, I found myself in, in Kabul in Afghanistan. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and so that was kind of, you know, and so I already had somewhat of a patri, you know, patriotic um, upbringing. You know, my Grandpa Bill being in Korea, my Grandpa Orvis in World War II. But other than that, like my uncles or my dad, nobody had like – um, a real military experience. So we didn't really know what to expect. And all through high school, I kind of thought, I was like, I'm just going to Iraq. I'm signing up. I'm, I'm out of here. I'm going to join the Marine Corps and I'm going. Like I wanted to go, you know, and, and you know how it is. You kind of like come down to yeah. it and you're like, what am I really going to do? That's you a know? boy's own adventure. It's yeah. funny you should say that. Um, during conflicts, um, and we've seen quite a lot over the years um, with the um, the first Gulf War, the the Balkans, um, and then, then the second Gulf War, then Afghanistan and Iraq. And while you've got those conflicts on, lots and lots of guys are signing up to, to go and do a boy's own adventure. So they come into the army, they, they get trained up, they go into deployment, they have their six months... Uh, in a war fighting zone and they come back and then they leave and they go back into the civilian world um, having had most of them quite a good experience uh, of, of, of a boy's own adventure. Yeah. Um, and that's when the problems start, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And so that would have been, you know, that would have been me had I left right out of high school. But instead I followed my real, my first passion, which was real estate, of course. And by the time it rolled back around, now I'm 22 years old. I'm not 17 or 18. Sign up. I'm 22 years old. And like you said, there's a kind of a recession and there's interesting stuff and the wars have gone on now. It's, you know, 2009, you're like talking eight years later, you've got this stuff. And so what are you going to do? Well, the Navy's like, Hey, jumpstart your career. It's very career minded. I had grown up, remember my passion for the water. So at 15, 16, I start teaching swimming lessons. I'm a lifeguard at a swimming pool. Uh, then I become a head guard there quickly. Um, Tim, it's not that I don't want it. Okay. So a lot of people will be like, Nate, you're good at everything you do. And it's not that I'm good at everything I do. That is true. But I only do what I'm good at. I just the other stuff, like I told you, I didn't play football. I didn't yeah. play baseball because I wasn't good at it. So I left. So I focused mm -hmm. on the things I was good at and I get better at those things and forget the rest. And then I have a much more enjoyable life because of it. But I was good in the water. I'm good underwater. I'm comfortable in that environment. I love it. I, you know, a kid with a split head on the pool deck, oh, let me take care of this and fix this kid up. No mm -hmm. problem. Let me teach this kid. This kid is screaming in my ears. Because he can't swim, I'm going to take him out in the water and teach him how to swim. And it doesn't bother me. I've, you know, I've worked with everybody, um, you know, my, my nephews and my nieces and people's young kids. I love it. And, uh, and especially living in Florida and living, there's so much water, not just the oceans, but lakes and rivers and ponds. And every neighborhood has a retention pond. And it's like and everybody's got a swimming pool. Like, you better teach your kids how to swim. So it's a real, I get real passionate about things. And so I had that experience. And so as I start looking at careers, I'm going to the Navy because I'm like, let me take, you know, let me let me see. I, I'm smart and I've got some experience and some qualifications that maybe I can get a good job. And the Navy's one that you can sign up for your job before you go to boot camp so you can get 
um, you know, as long as you pass your schools, then you get that job. Now, I didn't really trust that. I didn't really believe it. I still thought that I was going to I was like, yeah, OK, I'd, sure. But it came true. Um, so I went in there. I was like, what kind of special programs do you have? Took the test, scored high on the test. So I was able to pick any job I wanted to pick. And, you know, they have not they have special programs and they have special warfare. So the search and rescue program is not special warfare. It's still a special program. So you did get a bonus at the time. The bonus was twenty five thousand dollars. And, you know, the Navy SEAL bonus was like 40000 at the time. And I know how hard that is. And I, I didn't know that if I had that in me, but I knew if I did this rescue swimmer program, like I said, I'm only going to do what I'm good at. It's just, you know, I'm going to bet on myself. This is where I'm going to succeed. Uh, I love aviation. That's another thing. My dad has his private pilot license. We used to go to air shows, all that stuff. So, again, the culmination. I'm only a, you know, the sum of all my life events and experiences. And... So I sign up to be a search and rescue swimmer. It's a six-year program. It's a four-year commitment with two years of school. Um, mm -hmm. There's about five schools on the front end that you're going to. Uh, th there are rescue swimmer. You know, they were touting like a 75% attrition rate. I think our class, original class, that's a story. I kind of got kicked out once, but, you know, stayed in, which was fortunate. Uh, but the original class that started with 24 people graduated with six people. Um, mm. okay, so pretty tough course, yeah. It's pretty a like special forces. I mean, that's the sort of drop off rate that special forces has, um, yes, yeah. To get into the, I would say that to get into the program is a little easier, so maybe that, like, and a lot of guys that roll out, a lot of guys that roll out of buds, uh, you know, basic underwater demolition school for Navy SEAL, a lot of those guys roll into rescue swimmer school as a choice now at this point. The Navy doesn't give them any bonus or anything. And they kind of show up and they're mad at themselves for walking away from buds. And now they're doing this rescue swimmer stuff that is, a, it's easier for sure. And they're frustrated and they're mad because they signed up for one thing and now they're here. So when I say I got kicked out, those were the guys that I hung out with. I kind of like connected with those guys the most, you know, like I said, it was always kind of patriotic and a little bit uh, kind of like that river rat kind of tough, you know, I guess. And so I hung out with those guys and the instructors would often try to teach those guys a lesson, like, you know, kind of kick them out and then bring them in for a hashing. And so I remember that I'm sitting at the board and this is my board with like the senior chief. And, you know, I, here's one thing about me, Tim, if I pick up on the fact that you're trying to put words in my mouth, even if I agree with those words, I will say the opposite because I just will not do it. Uh, so instance, I'm, I'm sitting at the board and they're asking you, do you even want to be here and this and that? And, you know, you're you're kind of scared and nervous and all that stuff. And so sitting there at the board and the senior chief is like signing these papers. I don't know if he's signing because they still don't tell you if you're going to get kicked out or you're going to stay. But I remember one of uh, Darian Durr. I still talk to him on Facebook uh, once in a while. So if he's listening, maybe he'll hear his name. But he asked the question. And he was like, Nate, because they used to say at the time, if you dropped out of the program, you know, you'd go needs of the Navy, but then you could sign up as long as you had good behavior and all that stuff and come back in two years, try again, you know? And he would say, Oh, if you got kicked out today, would you come back in two years? And you know what? They're trying to tell you, Oh yes. Oh, I'll do anything. I'll do whatever it takes, whatever it takes. I want to be here. <laughs> and I, you know what I told him in that room? And I said, I don't know. I might be really liking my job at that time. So maybe not. <laughs> 
And man, if the senior chief didn't get so mad at me for saying that, and he was like, if I hadn't already signed you back in, I would sign you out. You know, maybe, you know, it's funny though. Once you get into that community and once you get in that tight community, you, at first you're like, man, that was close. But once you get in, they're like, that's the answer we wanted to hear. That's why you're still here. So, cause we were just all a bunch of, you know, our personality was just, everybody was really aggressive. So, two years, um, yeah, schooling bits, and then a four-year commitment after that. That's right. That's 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 quite a commitment. Six years of your life. It is. Um, it is. And then you ended up doing another four, did you? I did. I did another four. So after a two-year training, I went to my first squadron, uh, HSL forty-two. And remember, we're a multi-role helicopter. So we don't only do search and rescue, but we have radar and we have um, sonar. So we're extended range platform for the ship. So when you deploy on the ship, the ship, um, man, there's all these different things. But, you know, radar can only see so far. And so if a helicopter gets up in a way, then it can see a little bit further and we can signal back to the ship and say, here's what's out here. Here's what's here. Like an eye in the sky. And we would run that. So did a small board deployment. We also... Um, we did have 50 cal and M240, so I kind of went down that path. So, so what I'm saying is a lot of guys kind of start identifying with what are they going to be? Are you going to be a weapons instructor? Are you going to be a search and rescue guy? Are you going to be like a radar guy? You know what I mean? Are you going to get really into that instructor stuff? Um, for me, <clears throat> the passion was <clears throat> sorry. <clears throat> That's okay. Um so Sorry about that. That's <laughs> yeah. okay. So were you operating off of a, a carrier? Um, yeah. So for that search and rescue, they, they send off the jets and, and, and you have to be in the air for when they're coming back in in case they have to ditch and all the rest of the malarkey. Yeah. Um, so you did that? That's yeah, that's it. So I was on the carrier at the time. So I went and then we had several deployments, but I was on, carry, uh, deployed to the the uh the truman so with this we're deployed with our whole shop you know we bring i don't know eight nine helicopters and we do that now there's two um i didn't do any vertical replenishment some of the helicopters are more outfitted for bringing they deliver mail they do exactly what you're talking about a lot of starboard d we would do that occasionally they did it more than us because mainly we took on the um you know that tactical job of getting out there to who's there so yeah i've done plenty of circles around boats where you know you've got rocket launchers and guns pointed at you and you're sitting in the back and and the ship's radioing you and they're like don't create a like they're like don't don't have a threatening posture and you're like okay well i'm gonna get this gun loaded and they're like you know I, that was one war they didn't want us to open the ammo no they didn't want tim they didn't want us to open the ammo can because they were like no nah, don't open the ammo can because then the the AO the you know the guys who the maintenance guys who handle weapons they're gonna have to recount those rounds to allocate for them and like <laughs> you know and I'm like bro I'm flying over here in the Persian Gulf off the coast of Iran and Iraq and out here and these places and you and then they're like hey we need you to get closer to those guys I'm like they have a 50 cal on the front and there's a guy with a rocket launcher and the third guy has a video camera and he doesn't have you know that's what they do they have you've been there They've got rocket launcher, 50 cal, and then the guy with the video camera only has you. So he so he doesn't have in frame. 
you know, and it's strategic so that we come in and if we have guns loaded, then they're going to put out on their TV networks into the world. Oh, look what the U.S. Navy's doing to us. We're out here minding our own business, just fishermen. And these guys are doing this. And they're like, get closer. Get closer. We got to get them on camera. Get closer. And I'm like, I'm done. I quit. I, yeah, I was like, I'm done. <laughs> I'm not doing it anymore. Because they didn't want to count the rounds in case we didn't have to use them or something. I'm like, boy, that'd be terrible, wouldn't it? Um, so I've uh, been... Uh, <laughs> uh, having stores in the stores, it's for storing, not yeah. for using. So, right, and, and it's the same with the ammunition. You can't have ammunition because in case you have to use it, then yeah. then we've got to replenish it. And, and, and absolutely, it's, it's, it's paperwork. <laughs> it was so frustrating, and so. But you know what happened? I had a good senior chief at the time, and so and part of this came down to some of the leadership, which the leadership ha- happens to be the pilots. And sometimes the pilots, they just don't, I don't think that they understand the time it takes to open an ammo can, prep the rent. You know, they're in cardboard boxes inside the ammo can. First, you got to link the belts and you got to dispose of the trash. Then you got to get that thing. You know, this is not a split second job here. We, I have to be prepped and ready when I get on scene if you want to use that gun. And a lot of them had the mentality like, okay, we're going to not create a threatening posture. If we get shot at, then you can open the can load and shoot in defense as we run away. And I'm kind of like, no, like, no, I, I, it, we're never going to get a round off. We're just going to take it in the fuel tanker in my chest and I'm done. And so uh, I did uh, guess what? Guess who was in charge of training? It was me training all the pilots and senior leadership. And all you got to do, this is how you train senior leadership in the helicopter world is put them in the back once and make them do a job that they've never done and time them. And they're like, OK, fine. Just yes, that's fine do what you need to do so things got better after that so i was happy um to make a difference and that's how it goes back to kind of my set you know i tim i got three rules can i share these rules with you yeah um and they did help me sometimes they get you into trouble but i live by these rules one you be the best at what you do and then you can do whatever you want and talk as much trash as you want and nobody can say anything to you and so rule number two if you don't know what you're doing act like you know what you're doing and people won't question you on it. <laughs> and rule number three is what's the worst that could happen? And so <laughs> I look at a situation and I balance it out. I mean, they're going to be the best at this or I am going to work as hard as I can. And in the meantime, act like I'm the best at it. So nobody asks me. And what's the worst that could happen? You know, I don't know. You get yelled at or you get, you know, you mess something up and you got to start over. But that was how, you know, I kind of always took that approach. Like, Look, if I'm going to be back here, I'm going to do the best job I can in the back of this aircraft. And I can't do the best job I can be if you're like, hold me back or you got some silly rules because you don't want someone to have to count the store. So uh, anyway, it was good teaching. And then I went from there the, the way I did the other four. I reenlisted while I was on that deployment. And then I moved to HSM 40, which is an instructor school. So then I started um, instructing. And by this point, like I told you, I had identified more with the weapons than anything else. Um, and so I was signing up for, you know, you, when you're in the military, the door will open for like, hey, do you want to go to this school? Do you want to get this extra qualification? Do you want this side job? And so I took all the weapons. Like if they were like, hey, you want to go to advanced search and rescue school? And I'd be like, no. Do you want to go to advanced weapon school? Yes, I do. Sign me up. I'm going there. I want to teach these weapons. I want to be good with these things. Um, and so I did that. And so then once I got to HSM 40, I was a weapons call guy, which isn't the best call to have HSM 40 because 
cleaning 50 cows and M240s is a lot of work, especially when <laughs> the people you're cleaning them with are students and have no clue what they're doing. And it's different. Like for me to go requal, okay, I got to shoot like 200 rounds or whatever it was. I forget. But yeah, I shoot like two cans, 200 rounds, and I'm requaled every like 90 days. Fine, I clean it. Now you take the kids out and you just put like 2,400 rounds through like three different weapons. And you're like, oh my gosh, we're going to be here all night cleaning these things, you know? And um, not only that, here's how it, ha here's how it works too. You come back and you land on the helicopter and now you got to wait for the AOs to take the guns off. And so now you can just go upstairs and you sit around in the shop. Then they're like, then you're like, hey, are the AOs ready? Oh, no, they got to cut a math, you know, maintenance action form. And then maintenance <laughs> control has to sign off on the math. And then they got to get it back to them. And then they're going to call it. Then you come down, you know, okay. And then you get there. Where are the rags? Oh, they're at the thing. So then you go to the room and you got to check out the rags. You know, everything is like, you know, categorized. And they, oh, where are the rags? Oh, you don't have access to rags. Like, what do you mean? You know? So now you got to hunt someone down who's got like the right key card or whatever to go get the rags. So it's not a matter of just like we landed and then I cleaned and went home all day, you know, but I enjoyed it. I, I really did enjoy it. And then while I was there, here's the thing, Tim, 18 months out, you can, everybody wants you to be a career guy. Everybody wants you to be a career guy. And it's a tight brotherhood. The shop is a brotherhood, the rescue swimmer shop, really tight knit guys. And you, even if you, in the back of your mind, you're like, I don't think I want to do this forever. I want to get back to you know what I wanted to do. Um, you can't say it. You got to keep it a secret mm -hmm. and you still got to do all the extra jobs, you know, signing up to work the like concession stands and the extra stuff you do um, because that's the only way you can succeed. You can't succeed at just being good at your job. For some reason you have to do extra. And the Navy puts out a form called a seaway form, seaway package. They call it, but a seaway form 18 months to the day that your enlistment ends. And that's when you submit your paperwork that says, I intend to reenlist or I do not intend to reenlist. So the secret's out. A year and a half. <clears throat> secret's out. And so from that point, I turned on my real estate license again. And I was like, I just went in and told him, I was like, I'm going to be the best instructor you have in the aircraft or in the classroom. I'm not going to volunteer at the baseball games. I'm not taking on, you know, the shop financial guy and running the shop dues. You know what I mean? I'm not, you know, getting the pallets ready for the guys who are graduating and leave. I'm just not doing it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to teach and then I'm going to focus on myself because I have a family and I got to make sure that when I go from contract job to back out into the world, like that they're provided for. We got a house bill now. We got a family. I was divorced once. You pay child support. You know what I'm saying? You got to get all this stuff in line. <laughs> so that's where, if I could keep going, that's where you find out who in the brotherhood is really your advocate and who isn't. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to put a label on those other guys. And most of those guys too, once you prove yourself on the outside world, they come back around and they're fine. But for some reason, man, they take it so personal that you're leaving. You got other guys that are championing you. They're like, mm -hmm. they're going to support your decision. Yeah. I'll cover, you know, don't worry about coming in for this. Then you got other guys and they're like, you should be, you know, signing up for these volunteer things. And you're like, I just, I, they just, I can't, I've got to work my other job on the weekends. Cause that's how I'm going to get it going so that, you know, I'm ready. Yeah. So that was, uh, that was a challenging time. 18 months working two big jobs, one sales, one's instructor, you know, kids, wife, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's it. Then. So what happened when you, 
you finally you, you, you did your eighteen months, I guess. Mm. Um, your resettlement we, in the British Army, you, you do that sort of time. You, you get a resettlement package, um, and, and so the, the last for us is a year. Okay, you're looking at at, at the end date. You, you're putting your courses in, and all the rest of it. You get your yes. resettlement, your leave. You get your your annual leave, and 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 you get a, an actual you 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 leaving the you leave the job on that day, and your final day's pay is on about two months later when you finished all your leave. Yes, and then you're out. So you you, you do it over eighteen months. Yeah, I mean, I guess as is over two years, but um, it's a year that you, that you. When you click, when you do okay. the seven clicks, we call it seven clicks. Yeah, just steps. That's right. Yeah, yeah, because we have a school too. You know, they send you out, and you can't yell at your coworkers when you go out into the real world, or this, or that kind of thing. And uh, Tim, you know what? I didn't realize how much I fought. Now, I don't mean that bad, but I've gotten like, like I miss fighting. I didn't know I fought at all. I think the reason is is because we fought in the shop for fun. Nobody was mad. It was just a guy who's the next guy comes in the door. Somebody jumping, you know, 20 guys sitting around bored. <laughs> next guy comes in. Boom. It's a brawl. There's staplers and three hole punches involved. I mean, there's no holds bar. You know, you're, t- you know, you're unbolting a guy's chair. So when he comes in the room, the chair collapses and falls on the floor and a fight ensues, but it's all fun. It's all fun. You know, there's missing teeth. There's eyes getting stitched up and everything. And it was just for fun. And then you get out and you're in the office and you're like, so we don't, Nobody fights around here. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? You, like, you, don't, you don't even realize it's a thing. Um, so I did miss that. Yeah, so I went to all those classes, and and we had a cool one. This was cool because I was going into real estate, but there was an opportunity for a three-month class. Uh, they call it skill bridge, so you can actually leave the command. It kind of hurts the command because you still are holding on to that billet, and so they don't have somebody to fill your spot. So you kind of leave, but you know, you're looking out for your own at that time. So I left and it was like a a construction school. So I really got to, you basically worked yourself to an apprentice level at like framing and floors and walls. Cause they're, and you know, and the Navy is making sure you got a fallback. So, Mm -hmm. um, that was a good school. Funny story, Tim, I went to do, so all those schools that you're talking about and then skill bridge and everything else, you have to route this paperwork through admin, you know, they sign it. It goes all the way up to the CO. Most of these, they sign it. They sign it. They sign it. So for 18 months, for the last year, they're signing, 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 signing. This stuff getting routed. So I come back. So I go there. And I'm like, all right, all right. I'm getting the time. And I go to put my my leave, my separation leave in, a terminal leave. I submit, um, uh, I'm here to give you my leave chat <laughs> admin. And they were like, for what? And I was like, um, well, you see, <laughs> I'm separating from the Navy. And they're like, we didn't have you down as that. So apparently, just like you get orders to go from here to there, you have to get orders to leave. And <laughs> they had not requested these orders, Tim. So I couldn't go on my leave. So I had to take regular leave for like two months while they waited for the orders. Go back in, suit up, <laughs> shave, cut my hair after two months. You know, I thought I was on my way. No. And then I had to come in, sign the papers. And then submit my terminal leave. And while I was on that regular leave, they had their like fitness exam. And one of the master chiefs called me. And he's like, you got to come in and do your fitness exam. And I was in Tennessee. I wasn't even here. I was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> he's like, well, since you're not on terminal leave, you got to do it. And I was like, bro, 
And I do feel bad because I did. Yeah. At that point, I was mentally checked out. You know, it's like, what do you, <laughs> what's the worst that could happen? I mean, I yelled at him and I was like, Can this I is your, you? yeah. I'm like, if you guys had your stuff together, you would, I wouldn't even be, you know, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, it all worked out. He's a, he was one of the nicest guys too. That's why I feel bad because I'm like, uh, <laughs> uh, he was one of the greatest guys. So anyway, it all worked out and I got into real estate and I've been slowly, you know, building that. And so that was January of 2020. That's interesting, Tim. So remember the recession happened, all that yeah. stuff happened, which caused me to go into the Navy to, you know, put real estate on pause. Now I've got two kids at the time. I've got a house bill of way more responsibilities than I had when I was 20. I leave the Navy January, 2020 and March, 2020 COVID hits the world. <laughs> You're like, oh, you have got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding. Yeah. Not kidding. It was the real deal. But you know what, man? Our office shut down. Everything closed up. Everything closed up. But me and one other guy, we had this massive, I'm talking like, you know, 15,000 square foot office space that we were just paying unbelievable amount monthly to rent. And the world shut down. And I was like, I ain't shutting down. I'm going to work. I went to work every single day. I had a no shoe policy. I wore my bathing suit and no shoes at the office. But you know what I did? I just did care. I knew like business and stuff. Nobody wants to talk business when that was going on. So I just did care calls. What I know best checking up on people, that counseling side of me, that, that rescue swimmer uh, motto is so others may live. And, and um, yeah. when you, when you look at it, it's easy to be like, I'll do what it takes. I will do, I'll put it all on the line, you know, at all costs. I'll make the, I'll, I'll pay the ultimate price to make sure that, this stranger gets to go home to their family if that's what's asked of me. So how hard is it when the world shuts down to go into work and make phone calls to all your people to say, Hey, how you doing? Are you okay? Cause if you're going to say, if you're going to sit there and say me, I, I will make the ultimate sacrifice for somebody. Well, what about not the ultimate sacrifice? Cause a lot of times a lot of people want to say that. And a lot of people want to live by that code and then small things that are easy things, they almost feel like they're kind of below them or they don't want to put time into them. So I made sure I was like, you know what my work is going to be during this time is I'm going to go to the office. And I'm just going to call people. How are you doing? You doing okay? Is your family okay? How is everything? Everybody that was in my database, everybody that I knew. And I did that. And I'll tell you what, I've had a, the business has been pretty successful. And although the, <clears throat> there wasn't a lot of business during that time period, there was after. And a lot of those people called me. Um, and I didn't do it for the business. I did it because I didn't know what else to do than be good to people. And, you know, being good to people, will, I, I think, just always – I should add that to my rules, right? Like number four, mm -hmm. just be good to people. That always helps. Um, yeah. I think I, I, I live by a set of um, values and standards, and, and, and one of them is uh, respect for others. And yeah. treat people as though you would like to be treated yourself. And you ain't going to go too far wrong in life. Um, so if you're nice to people, generally they're going to be nice back to you. And, and, and that's the way I've lived my life. Um, and I think it's worked. I think, yeah. I think I get respect from people and, and, and I'll give respect out. And yeah, it's yeah. a good, good way to be. Yeah. Um, so when I was building the team, you know, I pull a lot from my Navy experience and, um, I think that's what I'm still super involved with the guys. I still go to the shop. I still got an ID. 
and still get on base. So it's great now. I tell you, Tim, I've kind of learned how to do it. I'll put on, I wear my regular clothes like I'm wearing today, you know, and I said I wasn't going to, I didn't go in the reserves after because I didn't want to cut my hair. You can see it's out here. It's a mess. <laughs> um, and so I didn't go in the reserves. I didn't do any of that, but I still have access to the base. So I'll go over to the hangar and, you know, all five squadrons are right there. It's like one big, massive hangar and, you know, 70 is there and then there's 74 and then there's, you know, 60 and then there's 46 and then there's, I don't know why they go out of order. And then there's 72 down at the end. <clears throat> I was at 72 back in the day, but I go there and now all my brothers, cause every three years, these guys are rotating around. So I've got brothers in every single shop. They know every single shop and I go there and I'll spend the day. I walk up in the shop. I just check in. Hey, I'm here. And I go to the shop. Somebody that I know is going to be there <clears throat> or a student that I trained. And I'll just hang out and I'll hang out for a little bit and then be like, well, I got to get on my way. And then I'll walk down the hall to the next one, walk in there. Who's up in here today? What's <laughs> up? <clears throat> it's almost better. Tim, I tell him it's almost better. I'm like, listen, I got it made, guys, because I still get to come hang out at the shop with you guys, sit around and talk just like I did before. Except now I don't got to do all the flights. I don't got to <laughs> cut my hair. I don't got to wear the uniform. And so, you know, I'm still su- and they laugh, you know, and. And they tell me some of the stories. You know, I can't repeat some of the stories. You know, this is, I don't know what we can repeat. But I go in there, I'm like, man, we just laugh. Forget those times, you know, when you were like 20 and wild. And sometimes it's embarrassing even. You're like, I can't believe I did that stuff. Now I'm trying to, now I'm trying to be a good example to people. But that's part of life, right? You kind of yeah, grow that's where up. You, that's where growing up comes into it. Yeah. So. Yeah, showing growth is probably the best example you can set, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, so bring us up to date. What are you up to at the moment? Well, right now, so uh, so mainly back into real estate, full speed real estate. I'm here in Jacksonville, downtown Jacksonville. I've got an office. You guys are sitting in my office with me right here. Uh, pretty cool. We love we love this space. We're in a tower. There's a, We're on the third floor, but there's a restaurant on the first floor and then a rooftop bar on the ninth floor that overlooks the St. John's River. You can't beat it. You go up there. Maybe after we're done, I'll go up there and have a soda or something, but um so doing real estate i do have a small real estate team it's mainly just me but i've got some staff on the side that you know we use it's the rigs group so to be able to go we're now two and a half years out and remember 18 months i reactivated my license so Mm -hmm. uh may of 2018 is when i turned my license back on so four years now um and we've had pretty good success last year and this year Really picked up speed doing, uh, you know, about 25 units um, last year, close to six million in volume. This year, we're going to probably touch 10 million volume, which is pretty exciting. All that with really low overhead. This has all been done through um, personal connections and talking to people and sharing things and um, getting on podcasts and doing social media and things like that. So, um, real estate's really my biggest passion. Uh, and what I love about it is Tim, when I went to boot camp, um, they hand out credit cards, like Navy federal credit union comes in there and they hand out credit cards and you're at boot camp for two months. You're getting paid while you're in there for two months. And I know everybody has life circumstances, but for the most part it's young kids that should have no debt, should have very little life responsibility. Mm-hmm. Once in a while, there's like old guys. So it's like 30 year olds in boot camp. That's kind of interesting, but they come in there and they hand out credit cards with cash advance in case you're in a bind. You should leave boot camp with a couple months saving in the bank already. And then you go to your program and you should get bonuses. 
you know, like so many others before, I found myself and part of my first marriage and this and that being being in in heavy debt. And that was a problem. And I'm passionate about real estate because if instead of handing out credit cards at boot camp, they came in and taught guys about, you know, financial wealth building, you know, even if you don't, I'm not even talking about on the investor level. I'm just talking about wise financial decisions. Um, you know, I think a lot of guys would be better off. I should have been able to do 10 years in the Navy and have a portfolio of four, five, 10 houses, you know, mm-hmm. excuse me, hold on a second. So that being said, I'm, tr- I'm reaching out to these guys and I really want, you know, I've got a bunch of books on the, behind me. I've got books, your first home. I've got books about investing in real estate and even at a small level. And we looked at some stats last week, like, you know, <clears throat> somebody who never purchased a home and just rented a home their entire life at the age of retirement, their net worth on average in America is $6,500, which is not that much mm-hmm. on the contrast. Somebody who owned a home, and this is not an investor, just a person who bought a house, lived in that house, paid it off, saved money, made responsible decisions at retirement age. Their net worth is 255 on average. It's actually higher. Hmm. It's actually a little higher. That's like the average, everybody. It's it's like closer to like 300. We read these stats last week on a podcast I was on. But I say that because so many people, especially Navy guys, you're moving around. I know some Navy guys who did this right. When they were in training, they bought a house. Then they moved to their next place. They didn't sell that house. They kept it. They rented yeah, that house to out. someone else. Yeah. They bought a new house where they went. Now they get out of the service after 20 years. And because, to be honest, if you do a 20-year retirement, it's really not enough to live off of. Most of those guys rotate back in to a contract mm-hmm. job and do another 20 years. So they do 40 total years to retire. But if you bought real estate investment properties – over that 20 years, then you could retire at 20 years and truthfully have a great six figure income to just live off. You would never have to work. So imagine being 18 years old, going in the service, getting out at 38 and never having to work unless you wanted to, you could focus, then you could focus on whatever you want to open up a wood shop. You want to open up a barber shop. You want to, you want to continue your real estate investment path. You have that option to do that. You don't have to go out and get another full-time nine to five. So we uh, we definitely work with people to inspire that. The Riggs Group, it's a great team in Jacksonville, Florida. Pretty proud of it. I'm proud that we've done it with low overhead. We haven't bought any leads. We haven't bought really any advertisements. It's all just been through the people we know, through the people I know. Hmm. And so it's worked out really good. Terrific. So that's where you are now. Yeah, three kids. Um, they're, they started school. That's actually why I kind of had to mute a couple times from this cough. My kids started daycare so that my wife could come work at the <laughs> office and run some stuff. And then and then they got me the crud from the day. You know, I'm blaming them because they come home with the runny nose. They come home yeah. with the runny nose from daycare, you know, because they haven't been, you know, one's three. So we have a seven-year-old daughter because, like I said, I was married before. She's with us half the time. And then I've got one that turned three yesterday, actually, a little boy. And then another little boy that's a year and a half. So we're busy, busy family. It's been me. My wife has been a stay-at-home mom this whole time. I'm super excited that we were able to do that. However, mm. um, I think even for her, she was like, I kind of want to get out a little bit more. Exciting. You should have her on here. She was an airframer on uh, – so she was an airframer in the Navy. That's how we met, actually, too. Ah. So after 
you know, my first marriage kind of fell apart. I was like, you know, I remember meeting that girl. I'm going to call her. I'm like, no way. I've got a kid. I've been divorced, dead up to my eyeballs. She ain't going to call me. <laughs> ah, she came out, uh, and she was in California, so I got to move here. She was an airframer on F-18s, so ran all the flight control services and hydraulics mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, <clears throat> that's really good because we can talk about our experiences, and we understand each other. So CTMO was smart. I got her to sign up for the reserves here in Jacksonville. So that's how we still get. All right. Okay. We can, that way I didn't have commissary. Okay. Yeah. That way I didn't have to do it, but that's how I still have an ID. So now I just get to go hang out on base. I'm that guy. Uh, but you know, my whole job is centered around personal connections and relationships. So that's what I focus on, but she's actually taken a job here as a, she's done a lot of behind the scenes work for me. She's been great. So, She's like, I want out of the house a little bit more. So we put the boys in school. She took a job here at the office, um, <clears throat> not under me, but under like the parent company, which is great because mm-hmm. they're paying her and not me. So it adds to, <laughs> you know. Adds to the, uh, the household funds. Yeah, absolutely. And we're still in the same world. And it's kind of like how we were in the Navy. We were never at the same squadron, but we were on the same boat. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? You're kind of like around each other you get to enjoy each other's company okay i'm gonna go back to work you go back to work we'll see you later it works out so mm-hmm. um that's where it's going all of our stuff is um i go by nate riggs official it kind of was kind of just happened nate riggs i made it on uh on my social media and it was kind of a play because you know how like twitter and instagram if you yeah. get so famous this is the official contact so i just made my nate riggs official was the name of it and uh <laughs> Guys at the shop like literally started calling me Nate Riggs official and this and that. So it kind of stuck. Um, so we have we are excited because we're actually launching a new website. The website's not up yet. It may be up by the time you hear this, but it's just NateRiggsOfficial.com. And on NateRiggsOfficial.com is where everything from our podcast to our blog to our YouTubes and our Instagram, every, everything, it lives right there. So I used to get on these and I would have to, well, how do we get in touch with you? How do we find you? And well, if you're looking for me here or there, here, now it's one thing. Nate Riggs official yeah. and it's all there. Well, done. That's it. Sweet as a nut. Mm-hmm. Well, Nate, um, that's terrific. I mean, that, that is, that's quite a life. You've, I, you've, you've had a fair old crack at it i have i've done a a lot of living um somebody had said that to me you know uh, it was a guy in a band he was a singer and guitar player and you know we would go get coffee and that was during like kind of like post-divorce years and all that and um because when you're young military i don't know how much time we have to him but uh when you're a young military guy it's almost like there's a checklist like you go through chaining check you get to your next squadron check. Oh, you want to get a housing allowance? Not if you're single. Oh, better get married. Check. You know what I mean? You kind of, uh, now I don't want to get too deep, but I believe that's part of their retention program. Keeping guys in, you get them yeah. in debt up to their eyeballs. It's hard for them to quit. Uh, anyway, I, you didn't hear from me, but anyways. Um, so yeah. And I met with a guy and he said that exact thing, you know, you've done a lot of living in, um, when I evaluate it, like I'm pretty proud of it to go from mm. sitting on the front of a John boat to now kind of running my own business, um, continuing to try to, you know, find ways to learn and grow and, and pour into other people. I, I put out a thing this morning on my Instagram that, and it's really true. I don't really put out anything that's just salesy or fake, but you see my, I got my books behind me and I got more on audio and podcasts and on my calendar every morning from eight to nine is 
market research and reading. I mean, it's the most important part of my day is I come in here and I just um, maybe I'm maybe I'm spending 30 minutes in this book here or maybe it's 15 minutes in this book because reading the news took longer or whatever it is. But I'm, I'm trying to study and gain that knowledge because I know when you're in the Navy, uh, when you have a nine to five, you don't get the opportunity to go to work and spend an hour reading. And so how do you stay informed? You have to kind of pick up on podcasts or shows or this or that. And so I see it as part of my responsibility. If I'm going to establish myself as your go-to source for knowledge, um, you know, on, on real estate and on financial, you know, growth, then like I need to put the time in to learn it so that when you come to me and, you know, I'm able to, to pour into you. So that's a big part of my day. Brilliant. Well, that's, uh, that's pretty awesome. So it's the way forward. Yeah. Yeah. And so I appreciate it, man. I'm, I've enjoyed, uh, telling the story. I, I like this story too, cause sometimes it's too heavy. You know, a lot of people just want to hear like just a military story or just a mm -hmm. business story or just, you know, or just where, where are you as a dad? Where are you as this? Mm -hmm. And, you know, this format is, is a great format to be able to kind of cover all of that, you know, kind of mm -hmm. in one, it's condensed. We could go down any one of those roads and probably do a show just as long with yeah, just one of those topics. But, but it has been great talking to you, Tim, for sure. But, but this will leave a legacy for, for, for your children and your children's children. Yeah. So they can see what you did with your life. And yeah. hopefully been a, a bit of an inspiration for them. And I hope. That's I hope what, so. That's what it's all about, is leaving that legacy. Yeah. So thank you so much for, for sharing your story. Yeah, no problem, Tim. Thank you for uh, giving me the time to do so, for sure. You're welcome. The Tim Hill Podcasts. Ordinary people's extraordinary stories. Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. If you have the time, you can not only listen to the episodes, but you can also watch all the shows and you'll find the links in the description below. Thank you.